You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church Online Experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25-30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside of us. For those of you that may be joining for the very first time, welcome. Uh, but we are in the middle of a series on stewardship. Now, you may be asking yourself the question, what is stewardship? It's not a word that's in our everyday vernacular. We don't really hear it tossed around very much. So let's start there. Stewardship comes from the Greek word okionomia. So I'm just doing a little uh, uh, rehash here. Management of a household where one person looks after another's affairs or resources. So here is the big idea behind this entire series. God owns it all and he has entrusted it all to us as stewards. The Bible says Psalm 24:1, the earth is the Lord's, but it doesn't stop there. It says and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So you can tackle that scripture from any different angle and you walk away with a clear understanding that it all belongs to God. Now this flies in the wind of our culture that teaches and preaches an ownership mentality. But as believers, sons and daughters of the king, we are to have a stewardship mindset. Because, and, and, and I would encourage you, if you are listening for the very first time, to go back to the beginning because we talked about the danger of thinking that everything belongs to you. It's, in, it's an extremely dangerous mindset to have. But stewardship keeps us in, in a heart posture of humility and puts us in right standing with the Lord. So it's for our protection. So... As believers, we can define stewardship as this, managing the kingdom's resources for the Father's business. And so we talked about stewardship of finances. We talked about stewardship of family. And actually, I received a lot of messages about the sermon on family. So I'm going to be talking today primarily about parenting. And that's where a lot of the questions came in. But I, I just want to uh, go back to the, the, the role of the husband and the role of the wife, because that's where I received a lot of um, feedback. And I just want to say this, we opened up uh, the, the family stewardship series with this scripture, Joshua 24, 14. It says, choose today whom you will serve. And Joshua makes this amazing statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen through inheritance, okay? Just because your parents were godly and had a godly home does not mean that you are going to have a godly home. You have to choose each and every single day whom you are going to serve. And so the flagship scripture that we use to dive into uh, family was this, Colossians 3.18, 21, a little something for everyone. Are you ready? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Not some things, not most things, everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And kind of like where we received some of the feedback was, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And, and I, I broke that word down because unfortunately it has a negative connotation. When people hear the word submission, they want to run in the opposite direction. But if we can break that word down, sub is a prefix of submerged, where we get the word submarine. Sub means to be under. Mission means to be on, on, on mission, on track, um, together. So submission means to be on mission right? The mission that God and the vision that God has entrusted to this family on mission with your husband. So the question you need to ask yourself, are you on mission with your husband? And if you are, that means you're willing, you know, to take a bullet for him. It means you're you're willing to lay down your life for him. You know, going back to the garden, because this is where people get all kinds of confused, because people have, have twisted scripture and use that scripture that I just shared. Women are to submit to their husband. And husbands have, have, have pushed down their, their wives when we are co-heirs with Christ. The Bible actually says when you married, the two become one flesh. It is a great mystery, Paul says, but you are one, right? And so go back to the beginning when you, if you go back to the very beginning, you remember God created the sun, the moon, the stars, created the creeping things on the ground. He created the water, everything. And then on the sixth day, he created man, right? So, I mean, he's knocking it out of the park, creates this, creates this. And he looks back and he says, man, this is very good. Everything was good, but man was very good. But you know what? He's looking back. He's looking. He's like, man's very good. And then there was a problem. In fact, it was the world's very first problem. And the problem was man was alone. And the answer to that problem was woman. So I want you to remember this, men, that women are an answer to our problems. They are not the problem, okay? You are better off with your woman, with your wife, than you are apart and alone. So you need the woman. And that word helpmate, you know, when God looked down and he, and he provided Adam a helpmate, that, that gets twisted and manipulated. Do you know that word help in the Hebrew is actually the word ezer, Okay, because many have used that like, well, you're here to help me. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, right? And Adam's just sitting from this position of this, this, like the seated throne. But that's not what it means at all. What's interesting is that same word, it has a military context. It's used in Deuteronomy 32.29, Psalm 11, uh, 115.9, Exodus 18.4, Ezekiel 12.14. And it, it, it describes that God will be alongside Israel in times of war and conflict. I will help you in those times. So again, I will be on mission with you. If you read all these verses that you use the word easer, so that helpmate word, you would see imagery of swords, spears, shields, deliverance, and victory. Okay, so God uses this word to say, I'm going to be this for you, Israel, as you encounter conflict. And God is saying, Eve, I'm, I'm putting you alongside Adam in the garden to be this helper. 
Thus, when Ezer is used to describe women, it's not a term of inferiority or weakness. It's quite the opposite. Just as God is our helper, please hear this, Eve was Adam's helper. It's a position of strength, not servitude. To be a woman is to be a warrior. God continually uses military terms to describe women. Why? Why? Because women are not meant because women are meant to be on the front lines alongside their husbands. And women have been called to fight like a girl, not like a man, because that's the way that they were designed to fight. And so I just wanted to bring clarity to that word that's caused so much confusion and so much of an uproar in our church circles. Okay, so now that I've addressed that, okay, I'm going to dive into which still falls under the, under the umbrella of family parenting. Okay, now if you're single, I don't want you to check out because eventually one day you will be a parent. And if you've already had kids that have gone off and left, you never stop parenting your children, right? And parenting is hard because you're trying to convey this idea that we love you unconditionally no matter what. There's not one thing you can do to make us love you any more than we already love you. And there's not one thing you can do to make us love you any less than we already love you. We love you unconditionally. So there's, there's that idea. And then you're trying to also convey, hey, the world doesn't revolve around you. <laughs> so in everything in between. So it is challenging. But you know what? The Bible has so much to say about parenting. And so I want to take the, I want to take the next few minutes that we have together to talk about these things. And I want, to, I want to preface it, frame it with this scripture. Proverbs 14, 26. This is out of the ESV. It says, in the fear of the Lord... One has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Okay, so it's in the fear of the Lord, which the Bible declares is the beginning of wisdom. We have strong confidence and our children will have a refuge. That, ref, that word refuge in the, in the Hebrew is defined as hope, trust, place, or a place of shelter. And so we want as, God, as parents to have a reverence for God so that we can bring in a shelter for our children. So we shelter our children, not imprison them. See, here's the idea. Love shelters, right? Fear imprisons. So in other words, as a parent, you'll learn very, very quickly that sometimes you just want to hide your children away from the rest of the world. But the Bible hasn't called us to do that. We are, however, called to provide a refuge. So love shelters, fear imprisons. Love trains up, train a child in the way that, that they should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. Fear traps. You're not leaving this house. What was the... Uh, Rapunzel and like the parent wouldn't let him let her leave. Actually, I don't think it was her parent. I don't. I'm not a big Disney guy, but um, you know, th there's this idea of like I'm going to just lock my children um, in a room because the world is so bad, and I'm just going to imprison them to protect them from the world. When you're really not doing them any favors, that's imprisonment. And it's not good. And God doesn't imprison us as sons and daughters, right? Love is a, is a safe place where you can grow and mature. 
You can bring your problems and your issues and receive counsel and truth. That's the shelter as parents that we are trying to provide for our children, a place that they are welcomed, that they are loved, that they feel safe, that there's no shame attached to the questions that they're going to bring, and that they will receive wisdom, wisdom that they can apply in the world, because that is what God provides for us. I remember um, when my children were really, really young, I had to work on this big project, and it was a Saturday. So I shouldn't have been working, but it was like a big project that I had to do, the, uh, you know, at the beginning of the next week. And I was just trying to, to knock some things out. And my kids, they were just really, really little, like super little. And, you know, they just wanted to talk about, who knows, Lego, Star Wars, or whatever. And they just kept like, hey, Dad, Dad, da, 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 just talking about absolutely nothing. And I was like, yeah, 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 Dom, I'm, I'm kind of busy right now. I'm kind of busy right now. I'm kind of busy right now. I was almost getting irritated. And then I heard the Holy Spirit whisper this to me. He said, if you don't stop and listen when they have nothing to say, then they're not going to come to you when they have something to say. And I, I just felt it so strong. I, I shut my laptop. I got down on their level. And I just began to, to listen to them and to ask questions and realize, like, this is more important than this. And I think sometimes as parents, we lose, we lose sight of that. We make the justification. And what you justify, you buy that, well, you know, I got to pay attention to this because then you won't have any food on the table, which, yes, you have to work in order to be able to provide a shelter over their head. But, I mean, they take priority in your life. And so love seeks the benefit of another where fear is focused in on self. What is going to happen to them if I let them out of this room? right? But love is saying, I want to equip them so that they can thrive in this world. Two different mindsets. And as a parent, you've struggled, you've wrestled with both. You've made fear probably, I mean, you made decisions out of fear and you've made decisions out of love. Fear is a place of captivity. You're bound and shackled. And as parents, we often imprison our children by our fears and insecurities. We cast them on them. I'll give you an interesting example. So my wife is absolutely mortified at spiders. I mean, like, even if a spider's in a room, like, she's going to jump up on the sofa. Even if it's in the other side of the room, a spider, like, a little spider, and she's running in the opposite direction. Well, guess what? She spends the most time with her kids, so all of our kids are petrified of spiders. Now, like, that's not really going to hold them back too much in life, but it just it paints a picture that... Our fears, if not dealt with, are going to be perpetuated on our children. So we must make sure, first and foremost, that we are conquering our fear because the Bible says He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So we have to face those things head on, but also that we are parenting out of love and not fear. See, we want our children to be refined, transformed, refined, not confined. How do you know if you're training your kids and not trapping your kids? That's a pretty good question. Is your motive fear or love? And so I, I kind of want to, there's so many things that we could talk about in parenting. And we, we kind of breached the subject last week when we talked about family. We talked about the importance of having discipline and the importance of having affirmation. You know, that um, 
God disciplines whom he loves. And the first words that the father said to the son, Jesus, when he was getting baptized, he said, this is my, this, you know, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever performed a miracle, before he ever preached a sermon, the father was letting Jesus know that he loved him. It wasn't predicated on what he was going to do. So we need affirmation and discipline. And so um, what I want to talk about is bridging those difficult conversations, the things that are waiting for them out in the world, not shying away from those things, not hiding our kids in a room so that they don't have to hear about those things until they're 18, which is problematic in and of itself, sending them off to college and they've never, they, they have no understanding of the world or the things in the world. So I want to talk these next few minutes about sex in an over-sexualized word. So I'm going to rate this M for mature. I'm not going to be vulgar, but I am going to be talking about an, ad an adult subject matter that I actually don't believe is adult because our children are being introduced to it at the ages of 9 and 11, especially with media available at everybody's fingertips. So I have to ask myself the question, do I want the world to define sex or do I want to be the one defining sex according to scripture with my children? See, the world has an opinion, school has an opinion on sex, the media has an opinion, but all we really need to know is what God says on the matter, and he was the one that created sex. Now, I remember I was raised in the 80s, right, and everything was fear-based. I don't know if you remember the commercial, um, this is this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And they show like cracking. And this is your brain. It was an egg. And then they show it frying in a frying pan. And so they just scare you. I remember one time I was so scared. They had this campaign. It was dare. Um, I don't even remember what that stood for. Um, but it was, it was this, it was at school and they would scare you into drugs. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I could just be playing basketball and someone could just put a hit of acid on me and, and without me knowing it. And I would just, you know, be high. And they're like, yeah, so you better be careful. I remember as a kid, here I am terrified to play basketball at 11 years old because I thought someone was going to put a hit of acid on my shoulder. I had no understanding, but I was scared. I was petrified. Of drugs, and the same was, you know what? They 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 uh, they taught us about drug sex the same way they taught us about drugs. I was so scared. I was just thinking, man, I could just kiss some girl and automatically get AIDS because AIDS was the big thing that was going around in the 80s. And they're like, yeah, better not do any of those things because you're going to get AIDS and you're going to be tripping on acid. And so I was just so scared to interact with anybody. But did that work? No, because I binged both of those things. And so, um, because all I ever heard was that with sex is that it was wrong, 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 wrong. When I should have heard, um, that it's, it's not time. Okay. Because the Bible has a lot to say about sex. Solomon, Song of Solomon 8, 4, it says, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. So sex isn't Sex isn't wrong, but it's wrong to, to awaken love before it's time. And I think we do our children a disservice when we don't take the time to explain to them and define what sex is. Sex is a beautiful thing. And so we must train our children to be skillful with their sexuality. Skillful means to understand that they've been, what they've been given and how to wield it. You know, you can... You can you can 
heat a home with a fire or in that or you can consume a, a home with a fire does that make sense and so we must control that fire of sexuality that God has given us because he has made us sexual beings. And I'm going to make a statement here, and you probably never heard anybody make this statement before, but we are stewards of our sexuality. And the problem is that the church has been asleep at the wheel because we don't want to breach topics in the congregation about sex. So therefore, we send our children to the world to define these things that God has given us. And let me tell you something. They're not as shy and bashful when it comes to speaking about these topics. We should be leading the way, teaching our children about their sexuality and how to steward it well. God has created us as sexual beings, but our identity is as sons and daughters of God. And somewhere along the line, the world has got it twisted in finding their identity in their sexuality because the church has remained silent. So we must be willing to talk about these conversations. See, sex is so powerful that it can create an eternal life. Have you ever taken the time to think about that? That God entrusted us with procreation, with being able to come together and bring another life into existence that will live for all of eternity. Out of all the things that God could have entrusted us with, like we like to romanticize superheroes. I mean, it'd be cool if we could fly. It'd be cool if I could shoot lightning bolts out of my fingers. It'd be cool if I could run, you know, uh, as fast as as bullet. But we we take for granted that God has given us the ability to be able to procreate and bring a life to create alongside the Creator by bringing a human being into existence for all of eternity. And it's through sex that God has given us this ability. See, sex is spiritual. This is why when, you know, you hear about somebody getting beat up, even hospitalized, and you hear about getting somebody getting raped, the rape is far more egregious, right? Because we understand that there's a spiritual, there's a violation there. You know, and so um, this is what the Bible says is, is, is this. Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you know, not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So sexual sin, right, is more egregious than a sin that we commit on the outside. Okay, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, we package sex with fear and not the healthy kind. And how many of you know that fear is a terrible counselor? The Bible says in Romans 7, 5, that law arouses the desire for sin. 
So uh, here's the big idea. When you say don't, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, you can almost guarantee that a child is going, or teenager is going to walk away from that conversation with do, do, do. Just like I did, I was told, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs, you could die. Don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, you could die. And it awoken in me a desire to pursue the very things that they were telling me not to do. And Romans lays it out that the law arouses the desire to sin. So here's the idea. This isn't a one-time talk that we have with our children, the birds and the bees, which actually I've never quite understood. And I, I want to ask, has anybody actually ever heard the birds and the bees talk? Because doesn't like a bee have like a queen and everybody mates with it? Like, I don't even understand how birds and bees mate, but I digress. Uh, there's this idea that a parent sits their child down one time and has the birds and the bees talk, and then they're all good. And let me just tell you, I'm a, we're throwing that out the window. We see what that has yielded if you look into our over-sexualized world. We need to be having conversations about our children's changing bodies, right, and their desires that are being awoken in them um, in real time so that they can steward their sexuality in a holy way. And let me just say this. Let me just throw this in there while you're, while you're uncomfortable. We also need to be bridging the conversation in their changing bodies of arousal and masturbation. In fact, I came across this article, and I'm just going to read it to you because it's absolutely terrifying, and it's on the Internet. It's available to anybody, but it said this. I'm 12. I masturbate. Am I too young? You're not too young to masturbate. Masturbation is a perfectly healthy activity at any age. Babies explore their bodies and learn quickly that touching their sexual organs feels good. It's not at all unusual for young children to masturbate. Often, often parents will stop them from doing it in front of other people, but many children continue to masturbate on their own. In fact, experts recommend that parents teach that it's normal for people to touch their sexual organs for pleasure. That came off plannedparenthood.org. What led me to go to plannedparenthood.org? I'm glad you asked. I went to Google and I typed in how to talk to your kids about sex. And guess what? The first page of articles, you know, when you type something in into Google and it has like all these different links, every single one of them was from Planned Parenthood. There were no Christian articles. There were no articles from a church. They were all from Planned Parenthood. And I literally just picked one, and that's what I landed on. That's what is available to your children. That's what many parents are doing when they are getting ready to have the conversation about the birds and the bees. And so... If we don't talk to our children about their changing bodies and their impulses, then they'll discover it on their own late at night in shame and condemnation and potentially leading to years and years of bondage and addiction. 
You know, the enemy wants to keep these things in the darkness so that he can have dominion. And we are children of the light. We have been called to live in the light, which means we don't have secrets. We don't hide things and tuck things away in a corner. We're open. We're honest with our with our feelings and our impulses so that someone can come alongside us with the truth and lead us in the right direction. Parents, when you're, what, what you're casual about, your children will be carefree about. Billy Sunday said this, Be careful, Father, or while you are taking one lap around the devil's track, your boy will make six. And so again, going back, we must conquer our fears so that our children do not inherit them. This is why we can't just let fall asleep at the wheel and let an iPad raise our children. We have to be willing to roll up our sleeves, have uncomfortable conversations, have awkward conversations, but understand that we can invite the Holy Spirit into those so that we can equip our children to go into the world. And as we have these conversations, we, we have to make sure that we don't attach shame to these topics. We're reacting. We must create a, a healthy, shame-free environment so that they will continue to come to us as they hear new terminology, as they discover new things about their body. We must be the ones teaching our children what God says about sex. I mean, he created it, right? I don't want my kids learning about sex from some dusty kid in fourth grade that heard about it from his scrub brother in sixth grade in a few pages from a Playboy magazine. It's like the telephone game. You remember that? Like you whisper something in to a kid and then they whisper it into the person next to them and they whisper it into the person next to them and then 10 people later, the message is completely different than the message you originally gave to the first person. And that is how most of our children are hearing about sex. From kid to kid to kid to kid, piecing it all together. And so we have to be in front. We have to be in the offense, not on the defense. We have to be proactive, not reactive when it comes to this subject. I mean, right? The Bible says my people perish for a lack of vision. We can easily take that. If a children doesn't have a vision of sex, God's vision for sex in particular, then they're going to go ahead and hodgepodge together what their friends on 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 at recess, have shared with them and told them and what they saw on the internet and what they read in a magazine and, and piece it together for themselves. And now they have a perverted view of sex because we weren't willing to have the conversation with them. It boils down to having consistent conversations like week in and week out because your children are encountering new things week in and week out, especially as they go off to school and they hang out with their friends. They are getting introduced to these ideas. I can assure you of that. And so we want to build children that are independent of us and are completely dependent upon God. The question we have to ask ourselves as parents, what kind of adult are we sending off into the world, right? And I, I shared this last message, but we have to understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. You may be listening to this saying, man, I've never had these conversations. I'm way, you know, I'm, I have so much work to do. God's grace is going to be there to be able to help you to have these conversations. But don't be condemned. Don't be shamed. Don't, you know, pull, withdraw, but pull yourself up and be willing to have these conversations 
with your children because you are making a difference. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this. I'm gonna end with this. Paul Tripp said this: the goal of parenting is not control of behavior, but rather heart and life change. We have been entrusted with shepherding and help the hearts of the children that God has entrusted to us. They're God's children. He has made us stewards. He loves them more than we can possibly love them, but he has made us stewards over raising them and discipling them and conforming them to his image, God's image. And so behavior is an outcome of belief. Discipling our children towards a deeper relationship with with Jesus, then then the behaviors become symptoms to be treated with the heart is still being developed. And I want to leave you with this. Remember that out of seven and a half billion people, God hand-selected you to be the parent of that child. He didn't do it by accident. He didn't do it just like close his eyes and just pick a human being. He developed and shaped you to be able to do this. And he also knew the time that he was dropping you in. I've heard so many parents say, oh, it's like the worst time to raise children. God knew who he was assigning and what time he was assigning them. You have everything you need to raise godly children in this life. And so I want to encourage you to get with your, get with your spouse begin to talk about how we're going to bridge these conversations. We just talked about sex. There are so many other things to talk about. Dating and, you know, how to steward finances and personal responsibility and character and integrity. There's so many things that we we can't just expect our children to grasp. We must be intentional to disciple them and to train them up in the way that they should go. So when they, they do get older, they won't depart from it. I hope that you got something out of this because it is so important that we get out in front of this, especially as sex continues and sexuality continues to become distorted and perverted in the world. And so I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father, that you have made a promise that you will never leave nor forsake them that if they need wisdom, all they have to do is ask and that you will give liberally. So I thank you that they have everything they need to raise godly children. I pray that they would invite you into it and they'd be reminded that when they are weak, you are strong, that your grace would take them beyond their intellect and their experience and that they would be able to raise children, godly children that will be sent out into the world like arrows hitting their intended target. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.